Hi everybody and welcome back to A's for Alien podcast. I'm your host Patrice Johnson and this is the podcast where we discuss the weird and wonderful world around us in alphabetical order. If this is your first time happening across my channel, welcome. I'm Patrice and uh, yeah, so every week I upload smaller mini stories on Mondays and Wednesdays is when I upload my main series, A's for Alien, which you're listening to now. So this week, I did a mini story on two entities called the Bell Witch and Jeff the Mongoose and you can check that out I've put a link in the description box below alrighty so this topic is deceptively hard because like most things (laughs) that I research is I find that once you peel back the top layer of what you think a topic is you realize that it's actually a lot more complex and involved than what you may have originally thought When we're discussing demons, I kind of felt like I need to put them into two separate categories because there's obviously a historical aspect to the study of demons, which is incredibly interesting and the roots of where it comes from. And then we also have, you know, the spiritual aspect of demonology. And that's something which I want to be respectful of because it's a religion and a belief modality for a lot of people. Even though it's not as common as a mainstream religion, it still is a religion for people and I want to be really respectful to that because all religions are based in the supernatural at a basic level you know so it does require a certain level of faith and so whilst because it's not as accepted as Christianity or any of the larger kind of religions just because it's different doesn't mean that it's any less real to people who believe in it so yeah I want to try and do justice to that as well But before we get into the thick of it, if you haven't already, please take a moment to subscribe to my channel so that you never miss an episode. And, you know, if you hit the like button too, that really helps. If you're listening to this on a podcast streaming service, taking a few minutes just to do a quick review will really assist me. So I appreciate that immensely. Thank you. Okay, so I don't know about you, but for me, the introduction to demonology and demons in general, as I'm going to be investigating them now, as something tangible that can affect the human world that we live in, as opposed to something which is just talked about at church, has to be from The Conjuring series, which is a movie series which is centered around two people called Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were prominent paranormal investigators and wrote many books associated with prominent cases of hauntings. But before we get too deep into Ed and Lorraine Warren and into those kind of stories, you know, we have to start at a basic level and ask ourselves, like, what is a demon? And I thought that that would be a really easy question to answer. But that answer itself, you could do an entire fucking podcast on an entire two to three hour podcast on. That is essentially an anthropology degree. In fact, there's a YouTube channel called Angela's Symposium and she just finished her PhD on religion and spirituality, talking about demonology and witchcraft and pagan beliefs. So I watched a lot of her videos while I was researching this and I really suggest going and checking it out because it's so interesting and she's very knowledgeable on the subject. So Wikipedia says that a demon is a supernatural being typically associated with evil, prevalent historically in religion, occultism, literature, fiction, mythology, and folklore, as well as in media such as comics, video games, movies, anime, and television series. So I don't know about you, but the way that I see demons now has been very much influenced, not so much by how they were portrayed to me going to a Catholic school, because to be honest, we didn't really talk much about demons. I don't really remember the church talking much about any kinds of evil spirits. 
So I'd have to say that my first introduction to demons in this kind of respect would have been the television show Supernatural. And then after that, it would have been after seeing the first Conjuring movie and then the subsequent Conjuring universe that has been created around the life and works of Ed and Lorraine Warren. So in 1952, Ed and Lorraine Warren founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, and it's actually the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. The New England Society for Psychic Research, or NESPA for short, still exists, except for now it's spearheaded by their son-in-law, Tony Sparrow. If you're interested about the real life Ed and Lorraine Warren, Nespa has a YouTube channel which actually has all of the original kind of films of a public TV network show that they used to do called The Watchers. And I watched lots of their interviews in preparation for this, as well as just out of my own general knowledge, because I find the phenomena of Ed and Lorraine Warren intriguing. Because regardless of whether you believe them or not, they are a phenomena onto themselves. So the relationship dynamic that they would use to investigate their cases of paranormal activity were really interesting because Ed was a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, whereas Lorraine was actually the one who claimed to be the clairvoyant and the trance medium who was able to detect if there was a spirit or a non-human entity spirit or a ghost in whatever house they're in. I actually kind them kind of cool because they would travel around and Ed would paint pictures of haunted locations that they would investigate and then sell them because he was an artist first and foremost. So if you were of a skeptical mindset, you could say that this was kind of like just a really smart marketing ploy, you know, and I'm not the jealous type, but it hurts to see someone else living your dream because how fucking cool would it be to just be driving around the country with the love of your life painting haunted houses? And investigating them too, like that's awesome. So thanks to the Conjuring universe, everybody knows the famous Ed and Lorraine Warren stories. And you know that we like to do things a little bit different here. So I'm not going to try and take the kind of mainstream approach. So what I thought that I would do is go over one of my favorite Ed and Lorraine Warren stories with you from the book, The Demonologist. But before we get into the crux of the story, I want to go over the stages of demonic possession. So in 1990, Father Gabriel Amos, who was the chief exorcist of Rome, wrote a book called An Exorcist Tells His Story. And in that book, he identifies four stages of demonic activity. So the first stage of a potential demonic presence being in your house is called infestation. So a demonic infestation is like a classic haunted house activity. So it might start with you hearing taps on the door or the next thing you know, you might be hearing footsteps or voices and something which is really common that uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren talk about is hearing whispers in like another room, but you can't actually understand what the whispers are saying. So it's not really making any sense. Like it's not a real conversation. You know, maybe some other kind of objects could be moving around, things like your your keys changing, your keys moving. It doesn't really affect people per se, but it seems to affect objects and the environment around people. So it's enough for you to think and notice that there's weird stuff going on. But, you know, I think it's not anything more than kind of like, a oh, that's that's a little bit strange. That's a bit weird. Was that my imagination? So in the second stage, the activity ramps up a little bit. And this 
stage is called demonic oppression. And what happens then is the entity begins to turn its attention and its negative energy towards you. So in this stage, you might be noticing things like you can't sleep at night or you'll have like insomnia. You can't get to sleep or you can't wake up or you'll have lots of nightmares or frequent and severe illnesses. So you might have had nothing wrong with you and then all of a sudden you're just sick and depressed and you've got anxiety and then you'll notice things like your financial situation will change or you know your employment might end your relationships might end and all of these things happen in life like that is part of life that all these things happen but if all of these things kind of happen at the same time that might be lending to a supernatural source And so I think that that is where people get a little bit tripped up and a little bit kind of overwhelmed with the movie interpretation of what demons are. Like you think that if you're possessed by a demon that your head's going to be spinning 360 degrees or, you know, you're going to be vomiting pea soup when really like people who believe in demonic possession and oppression and infestation, their day-to-day run-ins with the diabolical actually affects people's day-to-day life. So, you know, you might not even know that you <laughs> have some kind of attachment. You know, you might just think that you're having a, a string of bad luck. So generally after the second stage of oppression becomes the obsessive stage So you know those friends that you have where they used to be heaps of fun, they used to do lots of cool stuff with you, and then all of a sudden they went through a bad patch, and then it almost becomes like they're energy vampires because they're just so obsessed with all the bad things that have happened to them that it's kind of all that they talk about. So they become kind of preoccupied with the events and activity around them, and sleep is apparently almost impossible just because of the mental torment and physical anguish that they're going through. So Father Gabriel Amoth said that the first three stages can be easily dealt with by a competent deliverance minister. So by going to the church and, you know, taking God back into your life, this Roman Catholic exorcist believes that, you know, any kind of competent minister will be able to help you from that. However, if you then dally into the fourth stage of a demonic presence, only a fully ordained exorcist can help you. And once again, contrary to popular belief or what we've been seeing in movies, when people have a genuine demonic possession, their heads aren't spinning, they're not vomiting green pea soup. But what has happened is that they're just so physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally exhausted that their free will is compromised. And during those moments of compromise, demonic spirits are able to take control over that person. And when that happens, you see things like superhuman strength or speaking in different languages, aversion to holy objects, knowledge of events or facts that they couldn't possibly know. So of course, on their own, these symptoms or signs don't prove demonic possession, but it does set a basic framework for Catholic priests who are applying for an exorcist to perform an exorcism. In 1999, the right of exorcism was revised, and it's the first revision to be made to this right, which might I add is 90 pages long, since 1614. 
In this new edition, it warns that these signs can all denote sickness rather than illness and adds that the exorcism should only ever been done after diligent inquiry and after having consulted experts in spiritual matters and, if felt appropriate, experts in medical and psychiatric science who have a sense of spiritual reality. So as I'm going through this story with you, I'd like you to keep in the forefront of your mind the four degrees of demonic possession that I just explained. So I personally hope that this story is not fucking true because it is harrowing and terrifying and torturous. So it centers around a family of four called the Beckfords. Pete Beckford, his wife Sharon, his 19-year-old daughter called Vicky and their 15-year-old son called Eric. But what's interesting to know is that the cause of what eventually ends up happening at the Beckford's house really started an entire year previously. So the Beckford family was really religious and the eldest daughter, Vicky, she was really withdrawn and didn't have very many friends at all. Her parents didn't let her do things like the other girls were allowed to do. So basically out of boredom, she managed to get her hands on a talking board, which we would know as a Ouija board now. So after everybody had gone to bed in her house, She would take out the Ouija board, put it on the floor in her bedroom, put her fingers on the planchette, and she would begin to ask questions. So she'd ask questions like, is anyone there? My name is Vicky Beckford. Is there a spirit who can hear me? And on one of these evenings, the planchette whizzed up to yes. And then this started a kind of relationship of sorts with this entity. And she would contact the same spirit every single night. And she would look forward to the communications with whatever she was speaking to because it would always play on her vanities. So it would compliment her and say things like, you look beautiful in the brown dress today, Vicky. You're so pretty compared to the other girls. Tomorrow you should wear your hair up. And then the compliments kind of turned into more like emotional pleas, I guess. Like it would say things just like, oh, I'd marry you if I could. You make me so happy. You're so lucky to be alive. Tell me what it's like to be alive today. It was preying on her emotions and developing a kind of emotional connection with her because it would listen to her day. So it would ask her about what her day was like. It would listen to what she'd been through. It would also talk about stories about who had been before his death and how lonely it had been before meeting her. And he would emotionally string her out until he'd just be like, okay, talk to you tomorrow and then like leave her hanging. So Vicky eventually believed that she was speaking to a spirit of a teenage boy who was, I guess, an angel, like a teen angel, she thought. And um, she began falling in love with him and seeing him kind of like a boyfriend. So she would express her emotions to him. Him, I'm doing air quotes because who knows? She was becoming infatuated with this energy and the attention that it was giving her. One day she asked it to tell her what its name was and he backed off and said to her that he must never reveal his name to a living person or else he'd be returned to the mists. I actually feel really sad for her because, you know, she was obviously lonely and like, what are the odds? (laughs) of you fucking finding a man that wants to sit there and listen to your day and it turns out that it's a fucking demon. (laughs) To further draw her in, it would begin to tell her things about the future. It would tell her things that she was going to see. And so the Ouija board spirit 
whatever she was speaking to really had her respect and she found it really credible because it would say that something was going to happen and then she would see it happen and so she would think that it was legit. So this went on for a whole year and so by the end of this year she was emotionally dependent on this entity like in her beliefs she believed that they were in a relationship that she had a ghost boyfriend and she wanted to take things a step further and she asked him like what her future was. And he told her what her future was going to be. So it laid out a whole scenario for her over the next six years, including details down to the date of births of her children, which actually ended up being real. And the fact that she would end up having three kids by 1978. So within that next kind of four years, she'd have three children, which ended up being true. So this emotional connection reached a fever pitch when she asked the spirit to manifest to her because she wanted to see him. She wanted to see the person that she was speaking with and she craved to know what he looked like. And Anne Lorraine Warren believed that it was this act that crossed the line. She has invited a demonic spirit to manifest. And even though he had been deceiving her into what he had been, the girl gave him permission. So the very next day, Pete Beckford, who's Vicky's dad, goes out and tries to start his car. He wouldn't even turn over. So he lifts up the hood and he found the spark plug wires pulled out, the rubber hoses unfastened and the fan belt cut. Not much later, when Vicky tried to start her car, it wouldn't start either and it had to eventually be towed away too. The next day, the mechanic surmised that the internal engine parts had been disassembled inside the engine, which is impossible. That week too, other weird stuff started to happen. Like the back door was completely torn out of its housing. Shrubs were ripped out of the ground and there was a six foot cast iron pipe which had electrical wires in it on the roof and it was bent at a 90 degree angle, just out of nowhere. The cars in the driveway seemed to have the air and their tires taken out and one of them looked like it'd been slashed by a knife. So Vicky had been trying to contact her boyfriend and every time she would do what she normally did, for a year, it would just, the planchette would just slide over to goodbye. So Pete Beckford thought that his house was a target for team vandals and he ended up contacting the police because, you know, it was a little bit ridiculous. Like the garden had been wrecked, the exterior of the house, like when they ripped off the back door and it seemed like something had been getting into their garage because... The garage was locked and still their cars were being messed with. He told the cops that he'd even heard someone pounding on the side of the house. But by week two, Sharon and Pete realized that it probably had nothing to do with neighborhood kids playing pranks because they were downstairs talking to Eric about his friends because they were thinking if it was, you know, some of Eric's friends that were doing this when suddenly they heard a smash inside the house and when they went upstairs to have a look they found an 18 inch hole in the plasterboard in Eric's room. The jagged edges of the plasterboard were pointing inward so it was as if something had delivered the blow from inside the house. So when they went to bed that night as they were laying in bed in the dark they could hear scratching from inside the walls like an animal like a squirrel or a rat was inside the plasterboards. And as Pete was laying there, he started to hear something like a floorboard or a plank was being pried loose. So he jumped up out of bed and turned on all the lights and spent the next half an hour checking the house from the cellar all the way through the attic. But he found no loose boards, nothing out of place. So the car tires continued to get sliced and to the point where he even bought new radials for Vicky's car because the tires had gone down three times in as many weeks. 
Also that week, they were being kept awake at night by these booming wallops on the side of the house that would come in threes. And they would hit the house with such force that it would shake the house. So this happened at least a dozen times. And every time Pete and Eric would go outside with a flashlight trying to figure out where the pounding would come from. This then progressed into like wrappings on the walls inside the house, which then led to full-blown banging, sounding like it was a fully grown man banging on the walls. They would lay in bed and they would hear sounds like the panelling was being torn from the walls throughout their house. So on the 20th of March, the pressure valves on the steam radiators somehow became unscrewed and they spewed hot water all over the floors and the carpets. And, you know, this, if there was a problem with the steam radiators, that could have explained the banging, because I'm pretty sure that steam radiators can sometimes make strange banging noises. So Pete thought that this was probably an answer to the strange noises that were going on in the house. So he methodically replaced all the radiator cylinders, but then every three hours, they would become loose again and do the same thing, like spew steam and hot water all over the carpets and the walls. He ended up resorting to just turning off the heat in the basement and he spent the entire week looking for the source of the banging because even when he had turned off the heat in the basement, the banging became more frequent. And after an entire week of looking for what was causing this and he couldn't find anything, he gave up and he ended up calling a plumber and a furnace repairman. And both of them said that everything was in perfect working order, but they too heard the pounding noises and they ultimately spent almost 19 hours looking for the source of whatever was making these bangings. And all he could end up saying was that the sounds were not being caused by the furnace, but he could give them no other answers. So a plumber came through and, you know, they told him about what was happening with the steam radiators. And he said, like, look, they're working well. The pressure leaks are fine. The radiators are in perfect order. But he said, look, I'll just replace all the valves with new ones. And so he'd cinch them all down and then he'd move on to the next radiator. But almost as soon as he would move on to the next radiator, if he looked back or went into the other room, the new pressure seals were just laying next to the radiator on the ground. So eventually he did it twice, two more times. It kept happening. Eventually he just put the old ones back on, packed up and just said, look, lady, you've got yourself a problem here. (laughs) So the flat tires were happening all the time still in the locked garage, but everyone was kind of like over that because basically as soon as the sun would go down, there was this percussive, consistent blowing that would just like go on for hours and hours in the night. Pictures and decorations would fall off the wall and break. That's how intense it was. So all this activity started on the 3rd of March, essentially, because it was the 2nd of March that Vicky had asked the spirit to manifest. So by Sunday, the 31st of March, this activity had been going on for almost an entire month. And another hole was found in one of Vicky's new radials. This made it the sixth time that Vicky's tires had either gone flat or had been slashed by a knife. So that same Sunday, it was about 10 o'clock and Pete and Sharon were watching television in their bedroom because it was the quietest place in the house because there was still banging going on. Eric and Vicky were too afraid to be by themselves and so they were in their parents' room too, just sitting on the floor, when suddenly all the lights started going on and off by themselves three times. Then the television set went dead. And just as the TV died, the Beckfords watched 
as the heavy wooden dresser that they had in their bedroom levitated a few inches off the floor. They sat there and watched as the dresser, which was about six foot long and almost 200 pounds, began violently twisting. And so the perfume bottles and the cosmetic bottles that were on top of it just started to like go everywhere. It then dropped back down onto the floor and it sat there quietly for a second or two until one of the drawers shot out. And then all of the drawers started shooting in and out, sliding in and out. As soon as the dresser stopped moving, there was like a heavy chair which had some linen on it. It levitated into the air, tipped all of the linen onto the floor and then slammed on top of it. Pictures that were on the walls all started to come away from their hooks and started to levitate in a circle around the room. Sharon freaked out, obviously, and was like, oh, my God, like, as you fucking would. Like, I don't even know how I would cope with that. Like, that would just be so fucking beyond anything. You know, like, it's one thing to be like, oh, there's this weird noises in my house. But for it to kind of change and be like that, like, that's a big escalation. Gets way worse, though. After they cleaned everything up, they were trying to go back to sleep. But, like, the lights were turning on and off, as they do. And then they could hear like a cat, like a kitten meowing in the kitchen. And then that transmuted into the sound of a crying baby. So, you know, common sense prevails. Like, you know that there's not a fucking crying baby in your kitchen. The scratching and tapping noises started to turn into like tearing and ripping noises. And it sounded like the whole house was being dismantled. And that same night, it appeared like Vicky got her wish. Because as she was trying to go to sleep, she sensed a presence in her room. And when she opened her eyes, she felt like there was something in the room. And so she let out this huge scream and her dad comes running in and she's like, something, someone was in this room with me. So when we're looking at this in the context of the four degrees of demonic possession, we can see that it's changed now from infestation, where it was kind of just garnering fear, to now being more physical in nature. And what we have to remember too is that whilst this is seemingly not doing any like real harm yet, you have to remember too, like imagine if this was happening in your house for a whole month. Like if it's real, it would be taking an emotional toll on you to know that every single day your thing's getting wrecked and there's constant banging. You don't know where it's coming from. It's basically driving you mad because there is no logic. And then you're hearing crying babies in your kitchen at midnight. The entities do this because it's all designed to break a person down emotionally. Okay, so already looking at this story, we've got a girl that's used a Ouija board. So it's a form of divination to create a contact with a spirit who she's then asked to manifest itself. And it's manifested itself in a destructive way. So in this story already, we've seen levitation of objects. We've got phantom noises. We've got mimicry. So we've got things pretending to make noises of kittens and babies. And we've also had the feelings of an entity being in the room. So on the 1st of April, it kicks it up a notch though, because we have the first instance of apportation. So it was a blue sky day and rocks were descending right from the sky and smashing into the Beckford's roof, rolling off onto the lawn. So Sharon called her husband to ask her what she should do. And he said, call the cops. So the cops came and they just were standing out the front, just watching it. 
And by that time, Pete had come home and he'd said to the police, like, what can I do? And they were just like, well, I'm pretty sure you need to call the priest. I'd be so intrigued to find out if that's an actual thing. Like I've heard stories of there being like priests or, you know, other kind of religious demonologists or spiritualists who are kind of on a secret speed dial with law enforcement agencies because, you know, I feel like police officers and other first responders get really good at being able to tell if something is kind of outside of the normal fuckery that they deal with. So apparently the the Beckfords got in touch with a priest and he kind of walked them around the house and there was like broken furniture and just shit thrown everywhere. And the priest just kind of like took a look around the house and said, oh, look, I think someone's disturbed in your home and your best bet is to call a psychiatrist and kind of left almost as if the presence of the priest had incited whatever was in the house to be even worse. Like foul profanities were scrawled on the walls. There was like hellish shrieks and noises that were coming out of nowhere in the house. So they tried to move out for a bit because they were like, nah, we got to get out of this house. So they packed up some clothes and went to a motel. But the same thing was happening at the motel, like lights flashing on and off, like noises. Other people were complaining in other rooms about the children banging on the walls all night. And basically they'd gone out for breakfast, came back and the whole hotel room had been turned upside down. So they had no choice but decide to go back home. But when they went back home, they opened the front door and the stench was just unbelievable because in their absence, all of the rugs, beds, carpets were just saturated with a combination of food, cleaning fluids, alcohol, shoe polish, cologne, perfume, towels and clothes were like stuffed in the toilets. Furniture in every single room had been knocked over, broken. Across the walls was like red scrawled profanity against God and Christ. Just try and imagine for a second that this shit isn't made up. It would just be beyond fucking anything. Like I can't even, I can't even begin to imagine that this story is real. Like I I read it and when I read it, I was like, that's a crazy story, but I still can't comprehend a reality where this happens to people, you know, and if this phenomena is true, then that's the whole point of all this external distraction because it's just so incredulous and you'd be just so dumbstruck by what you're looking at that you know, you'd, you probably would be open to something trying to penetrate your will because you just couldn't even believe what you're looking at. Like the emotional, physical stress and like how upsetting it would be to see your home where you've raised your children and have your family and all your beautiful things just fucking wrecked and there is even no explanation for it you can't stop it it's serious oppression the story from beginning to end is a complete trip and i recommend buying the demonologist and reading it. it's chapter 9 and 10 and you know the rest of the chapters kind of talks about more things that happen so you know you could do a whole two-hour podcast just retelling the story you know this has already been half an hour already but What other things that happen is like apportation of things like iron anvil, which is normally in the garage, was in the freezer. Things like Eric's bedroom doors would just disappear within a second and then they'd be in a pile in the cellar. Like religious artifacts in the house would be all flipped upside down. Statues would be outside in the snow, like just full on 
everything and how it ended up ending was the Warrens got involved and they collected enough information for there to be like an exorcism conducted. An exorcism was conducted during that time, like the house was basically like ripping itself apart, bestial noises, um, ultra black figures, you know, were appearing and moving around the room, like terrorizing the family. Like it just went... (laughs) fucking next level (laughs) there's this particularly creepy part of the story where this bright light starts to manifest in the doorway to the living room and in a a moment or two the whole doorway was engulfed in this bright light and it was so intense that no one could look at it and Lorraine was wondering like is this a positive sign because the demonic don't normally arrive in bright lights but then as they were watching it they started to see like a figure emerging from the light and when Lorraine saw it they could see that it was this form of an older woman who was completely visible but only visible from the waist up and it was at that point like that Lorraine realized that this was a deception that it wasn't something of the light it was actually an inhuman spirit projecting itself into a human form and she like yelled out to to Pete like to not go near it because it's not human. It's not a human form. Yeah, basically as soon as she said that, things started to like rush towards Ed and pinned him against the wall and the figure was still there like smiling at him and it gets gets fucking crazy. It's a fucking crazy story. It has a happy ending though because essentially the house is successfully exercised on May the 2nd, 1974 and everyone kind of lives happily ever after. Like obviously there was heaps of damage done to the house but yeah, you know, I still feel like that's a good outcome. So we're back to the rite of exorcism and as I mentioned before, the rite of exorcism issued by the Vatican has been around since 1614 but 15 years before that, King James VI of Scotland who who would later become James I of England, put together a philosophical dissertation on contemporary necromancy and the historical relationships between various methods of divination used from ancient black magic. So this is like the coolest fucking part of everything, how we have even come to know about all of these demonic spirits exorcism, all of this kind of stuff. And it all comes from texts and grimoires that were collated in the Middle Ages. So the dates and ages of these books are somewhat dubious, but a lot of scholars tend to agree that they were at least collated in the 1500s, probably as early as 1570 for things like the Ars Goetia or the Lesser Key of Solomon. Um, But they say that it was from texts, which are a lot, lot earlier. So we're talking Dead Sea Scroll age texts that then Renaissance scholars collated and put together into grimoires. And once again, Again, this subject is just so incredibly deep and filled with such lore that you could do, you know, like I said, a complete PhD on how demons are classified, the different levels of classification, because basically almost every 100 years, someone has come along and reinterpreted the text. And it's, you know, it's just intriguing to say the least. 
from a historical perspective, let alone from a spiritual one. I think that the study of demonology and what demons are is often overlooked as a flight of fancy, but I think that there's probably a lot to learn from looking at these old texts and looking at the texts that these old texts were made from because, you know, it's a horrible thing that human beings do that when we find a new land or we have a war with somebody, we decide to go in and destroy their culture and religion and beliefs. And a lot of societies that had polytheistic belief systems when they were converted to Christianity, they were kind of taught that their previous gods that they worshipped, because there can only be one god, it meant that all the other gods that they worshipped were some kind of devil. And so then they were kind of absorbed into the hierarchy of demons. And so that's why we have demons which have very similar powers, I guess, or attributes as, say, like Egyptian gods. And see, like reading the Ed and Lorraine Warren account and seeing it as a physical thing, which is kind of modern because historically they've been used to understand morality and behavior tendencies and symbolism for anecdotal tales, you know, not to lure people into temptation. And, you know, I was thinking about it and wondering if are books like The Demonologist by Ed and Lorraine Warren, were they 20th century grimoires? Like in 100 years, 200 years, will people look back on this and think that that's an addition to the text now that adds to the lore of demonology that's been added to for hundreds of years? Like the story I just told you about Vicki Beckworth and her family. Like, is that an anecdotal tale or not to fucking play with Ouija boards? Because I don't know, like after reading that story, I was pretty much like, yeah, I'm never going to fucking play with a Ouija board unless I make my parents' home be possessed by several diabolical entities and everything my parents have ever worked hard for get ruined. Like, I am very capable of doing that on my own. I don't need a Ouija board. So coming up next, I had the opportunity this week to sit down with a Luciferian priest called Tynerian. Instead of seeing demons as oppressors of people's spiritual development, he believes that demons can actually help us find our way in spiritual growth so hopefully you can stick around and listen to the conversation that I had with him this week okay so for this next segment I'm joined by my guest Tynerian who is a priest of Lucifer and also a mod on the demons subreddit which has over 15,000 members welcome Tynerian hello nice to be here Thank you so much for joining me. So now I I mentioned to you earlier that I have a cursory understanding of demons and demonology and Satanism and Luciferianism. And it was, it's almost one of those subjects that the more you look into it, the more you realize you have to know about it. So yeah, absolutely. Because so much of it is individual um there's very little cohesion which means that there are so many different sects to keep track of and so many different widely varying beliefs about what it even means that you kind of almost like can't say just satanism and make any blanket statements about it 
Mm-hmm. You just kind of have to go off of like what this particular Satanist believes. Okay. So in your experience, like what would your interpretation of it be? Like the way that you practice it and like help people like as a priest of Lucifer on their spiritual journey, like how would you guide people? Like what, what somebody, if someone came to you completely fresh, yeah. <laughs> like what, and they said <laughs> this for some, this is resonating with me. How would, what would you, how would you explain it to them? Yeah. Um, so let's see. Lucifer himself is about freedom. He is, uh, to put it in a sort of shorthand, he is the spirit of freedom. Mm-hmm. Part of that is the spirit um, of the freedom to not worship anything, to worship one person, to worship demons. It's all sort of, that's kind of his role in what he does in the universe. And specifically to, worship him would be to follow and fully explore your own freedom because like you know within um, philosophy there's sort of like uh the a lot of it talks about like the existential fear of like being of fully understanding the depth of freedom Mm -hmm. and for me it's uh not fearing that but rather embracing it and allowing that to be soothing in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. understanding that you know social rules don't exactly exist you can just you know dress in a clown suit one day that's a thing you can do yeah and it's embracing your full ability to have those freedoms and to work in the world to encourage other people to have the maximum freedoms they can as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's, yeah, that's very much Lucifer. And with other demons, they all have their own sort of particular purview over the world. And to engage with them is to learn their purview, understand it, integrate it into your life, things like that. Because like, say if we're talking about like the Abrahamic religions and the war in heaven story, is that Lucifer himself was the only angel that wasn't born to bow down to God. Is that correct? All the rest of them were like, he kind of, it was like a son of God, essentially. Like he was the most beautiful, the most knowledgeable. You know, he kind of was above the angels in some way and he questioned God after the creation of man and that's what caused that whole war in heaven, I guess, and the freedom. But that's the way I've always interpreted it is that it was like, yeah. because angels have free will and when God created humans that didn't have free will, he had a personal like problem with that and that's the whole, you know, eating the fruit of knowledge and the war in heaven based yeah. on that, them being the... Because I didn't it's, realize too, this might be silly, but I didn't even realize that like Lucifer and Satan and that they're all different and Beelzebub, they're different people. Yeah. <laughs> like, a lot I was of like, people. what? <laughs> yeah. 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 A lot of people count them as just assume that they're the same being. Some don't. The actual like idea of their being fallen angels at all is hard to track Mm. it's um as far as i know it's not biblical it is extra biblical there's some people count as canon some people don't um the actual meaning of the word satan in the bible is 
very different than the way it's used, you know, in common parlance. And we could talk for hours about that. And I don't know like everything there is to know, but essentially in my belief system sort of a thing, um, the split between angels and demons is um, generally that demons believe that in order to create the best possible universe, um, everything in that universe has to be free to make their own choices and, you know, free to not be ruled. And angels, generally speaking, have you know, their philosophy is that there is a way to rule and a way to set up rulership and governance that will create good things. And otherwise, if you don't do that, then bad things happen. Okay. Generally. Generally. Very loose thing. Mm. And tracking exactly if there was a fall, there was something analogous to a fall, definitely, I think. Mm. Um, tracking that in scripture is hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just because it jumps around. Some of the texts are from are literally Dead Sea Scrolls that are like 100 yeah. BC, taken from that, from Greek. And then we, you know, fast forward to like the Lesser Keys of Solomon and the Testament of Solomon and all that kind of stuff. And that's all yeah. kind of been translated from texts in the Middle Ages, in the 1500s but from Greek texts that are a lot older than that. So it get, it just yeah. bounces around. And then the modern age where there's lots coming through in the 1800s and then obviously like Anton LaVar and stuff like that and Alistair Crowley and their interpretations yeah. of it, you know, so that's all in the mix of it as well. Yeah, definitely. And there's also like um, the various, some of the various popes and saints mm. added stuff to the canon. Mm. Um, like there are stories, I believe if I remember correctly, um, the first sort of story about there being a fall in which Lucifer fell um, was in a, a story that a Pope wrote. Mm. And so it's not biblical, but it's sort of canon if you count that as canon. Yeah. And, you know, if you're not Catholic, that might not count. And yeah. some of it is just pop culture notions just straight up. And so, yeah, from what I have gotten from, like, people who have actually talked to demons and, like, asked about that, yeah, you know, that's what I tend to stick to. I tend to leave stuff that I don't have direct confirmation like that mm. alone. <laughs> yeah. Because just because so much of that is hard to track when we do have a real source yeah. and it's hard to determine which sources aren't faked. Yeah. Um, because there have been people who have faked old papyrus scrolls about religion. Yeah. And even, yeah, like you said, this information put out by the church or, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> you don't know what is actually being yeah. out there. So you, I'm, I'm going to preface the, the next thing that I say just by drawing on something that you said before about with possession and, you know, freedom. So a lot of people associate demons with demon possession. Yeah. And one thing which I really like about the demon subreddit is that in your, there's a couple of things actually, which I really like. And the first one is that you are very responsible in saying like these, some of these things are mental health issues that you need to be checked out for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so in your experience, does that happen 
more often than not that if people think that they have a problem with demons that they haven't had an evaluation of their mental health that that's their that should always be their first protocol yeah definitely especially because you have a lot of things that are taken as signs of demonic possession when it's actually like honey you have ptsd (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's just your ex-boyfriend that's not a demon yeah that's not a demon (laughs) Uh, that and a fair amount of people will come on talking about how they'll have an abusive spouse and they'll wonder if their abusive spouse is a demon. It's like sometimes humans are just shitty. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but then it breaks. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's also that there is sometimes some overlap. Mm. Um, like part of the thing is, If you have a spirit, whether it be a demon or not, um, which is attempting to possess you, um, they can't just, it's not like they're trying to wrestle control of a mech, you know, they can't just go in and take your body. They have to use some form of manipulation tactics. Mm. And those are going to be emotional and mental. And they're kind of the same thing as like emotional or mental abuse from a human. And so if your mental health isn't doing well, then if there is a spirit involved, it'll make it that much harder. So definitely if you feel bad, go get therapy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things like and Lorraine Warren, they talk about like they're demonologists and they talk about the stages of a demonic possession where it will be initially it'll initially it will like start like a um like a haunting and so there'll be things that will kind of distract you like things that will not be normal like things will move or apportation like things might appear or things like that and then you become more interested in it and then you're investing in that entities and it's like an energy transfer Is that kind of how it happens in your understanding? Or what have you seen it happen to people before? Like a, a proper yes, demonic actually. possession? Not demonic possession. Okay. So all spirits can attempt to possess. Um, spirits that have never been human honestly have less reason to do so. Because like a ghost um, of someone who had a very bad life and then some portion of them has gotten stuck and they understandably will want to have some form of life back. Mm -hmm. And this is something that happened to a close friend of mine um, that a ghost uh, found him and essentially wanted to be him because they, you know, being a ghost who had a very shit life before, didn't understand how else to be and so they clung to him and they attempted to you know take over his life basically and be able to be him and they were just a ball of fear and uh self-doubt and all of these other things and they weren't clinging because of malice it was just that that was the only way they felt they could feel better Mm -hmm. and that I say, I'd say is far more common. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people confuse that with demonic possession. Yeah, because that's the narrative we have in our, you know, in our yeah. society. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like Beelzebub, I know him as the demon of rot. Mm-hmm. So like he is decay. What does decay need with a human body? 
he is what he is. He's always been that way. He's been that way before humanity came along and he'll be that way after. He doesn't need, there's not like a drive to be a human Yeah. again. And I mean, you know, you can make up plenty of reasons like, oh, we might want to like turn this valve or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But like, there's generally less impetus. And most of the time they, they just have better things to do with their yeah. time. <laughs> That's what I mean. So is it almost like if if someone is tr- like truly possessed by a, de- a demon, like um, say even one of the 72 kind of big guys, you know, because there may be yeah. other ones that I'm, I'm sure that there are lesser demons, like there are lesser angels as well. But if you were to be possessed by, say, like, you know, say in The Conjuring, like a, a demon, like in The Conjuring, like how they represent Balak yeah. and they represent like um Malthus would would that only happen to you if you had invited them in in some way like almost like if you said I need help doing this so therefore I'll do this and you can help me with that and then they would possess you is that the way that a true yeah it doesn't make sense to think that they would just be messing around with people if it wasn't like it's almost like that be careful what you wish for kind of thing you know yeah um the thing is like a lot of people ask demons for help and don't get possessed (laughs) so um and generally the only people that i have seen um reporting cases of being possessed have said that they didn't want them in their life yeah um and so there's kind of that seems like a complication there Mm. Because I, I could think... imagine how you could be like, I, you know, I remember when I was a teenager and you go through your kind of like <laughs> edgy teenage stage where you're like, you know, watching yeah. craft and you're doing all this stuff and you're like, I'm going to be, you know, do this and I'm going to read yeah. grimoires and all of that. And then next minute you're having like, you're seeing like shadow people in your bedroom and you're having nightmares and you're having, like, yeah. and it's kind of like, would that be considered almost like a, I guess that's an oppression, like a demonic oppression, as opposed to a possession. It could be. Um, the other option would be that um, the thing is, like, something that a lot of people don't realize. Spirits are all around us, like, all the time, a lot. Um, and so if you learn to see spirits, you will see spirits. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um And so, you know, just seeing a bunch of spirits around isn't, it can be very frightening, especially if you're not, you know, uh, expecting it, Mm. but it's not necessarily any one spirit trying to do something to you. Um, But like, I do think, uh, kind of backpedaling before I go on a complete tangent. (laughs) That's all right. We do that here. Trust me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But um i do think there is a grain of truth within that idea that you have to invite them and i don't think you have to expressly invite them Mm. um i do think that you need to in some way pay attention to them Mm -hmm. um so if you've got someone who's um completely atheistic doesn't believe in any of it um 
and they have their you know keys move around and they're just like fuck i keep putting my keys in the wrong mm-hmm. spot even if it was actually a demon moving that around the ability for that demon to actually affect that person is greatly diminished because i mean they're annoyed but like they're not focused on and fixated on the spirit mm-hmm. um i think probably the most analogous thing is in order for like the full sort of worst form of possession it's you essentially have to be in some way almost addicted to the spirit or you have to be in such constant fear of them that you're literally always thinking of them and that gives them some form of control over your actions Mm -hmm. um so that's not the same as an invitation, obviously, yeah. um, but so it is so a similar is, idea. So fear is a big thing as well. So if you're afraid, then they can. It can. I was, we were talking before how I listened to that YouTube channel, Angela's Symposium, and she's a PhD in um, you yeah. know, magic and chaos. And a lot of, I was reading through her comments and, you know, when we talk about like the left hand and right hand path, um, which like how, how how do you think the best way to describe that to the listeners would be i guess it's you know yeah um for me my personal understanding of the difference between the left and right hand paths is that um the right hand path is focused on finding your place in the universe by looking externally And, you know, that sort of idea that there is the one allness of the universe and trying to dissolve your consciousness into the universe, understanding, you know, that acceptance of uh, it's all part of God's plan or, um, you know, people who like trip on LSD will say that they have this almost religious experience of, you know, suddenly understanding that the world is just the way it is. And that's the perfect, you know, way it is. And things like that, that is the right hand path. It's externally focused. And there's an idea of kind of, uh, at least sort of a bit of order. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally when people think of organized religions, they think of those as being right-hand path. Um, that's not necessarily true, um, mm-hmm. but it does kind of tend to, um, whereas left-hand path is very focused internally. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you sort of take the external stuff as it comes. There's not really an idea that the, the universe is the way it should be it's just there are things and you focus internally on your own power and um sort of your own energies Mm -hmm. to exalt those energies and that power so that you can go about your life in a better way yeah that's generally the kind of thing i actually um although satanism is usually uh you know associated with the left-hand path I kind of am a mix of both. And if I had to count myself as one of them, it might actually be right hand. So, yeah. Because when we were talking about the whole, the fear 
part of it, like the order and the chaos. Yeah. Probably would you would you think almost that the middle that middle path then for someone who isn't properly spiritually kind of aligned or know what exactly they're kind of looking for could become dangerous because that is when you could fear something that you've actually invited. Um, I don't know that I'd say that, um, that necessarily has to do Hmm. with either one. Um, I do think that, um, a middle path is perfectly valid. Hmm. Um, I do think that not knowing what you're doing when working with spirits (laughs) can someone to be prone to panic about them yeah um a fair amount of the time people will uh manage to get some form of result and they'll just freak themselves out even if the spirit isn't hostile yeah Yeah, because I mean like talking about shadow people as being one of the most common shadow people look pretty fucking creepy Mm. and if you're not expecting to see them and you suddenly start seeing them then you can freak yourself out and convince yourself that something evil is going to happen right now. Um, Even if it's just like one of them just kind of standing on a corner and then going about their business. Yeah. (laughs) Just minding their own business. Because I've had, I've had a shadow, I've had two like sleep paralysis shadow being experiences. The one I didn't, bring on and one that I did because mm. I didn't want to be afraid of it anymore. So I was like, I put oh, myself yeah. into a meditative state where I like, I basically just like put myself into a trance essentially. And it was kind of, I didn't feel afraid, but the, the image mm. that came to me was very scary. It was like seven foot tall, like hooded cloaked figure at the end of my bed. Yeah. And it said to me telepathically, am I real or am I not real? And then it laughed at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah and I was like, yeah, that like yeah. yeah you know and then I thought to myself like because I have had gone and had like Akashic record readings done in the past and um you know that that's that's kind of come from like Edgar case like that, that whole Akashic record thing that's like a whole nother kind of realm but they, yeah. will, they will basically talk about like angelic teachings that your soul has guides like angelic guides that you right, know, yeah. but what they don't really tell you a lot but what I was told is that she goes you've not only had angelic <laughs> teachings but you've lived lifetimes under the, the teachings of like fallen angels as well oh so yeah so that's what kind of got me interested in it because she goes you've lived both and that also mm-hmm. kind of made me then because I have never been afraid of anything paranormal that I've seen because I don't know how you could be afraid of energy and that's how I see them as that <laughs> yeah. energy their energy you know and it's almost like in in Australia here we have a gov- I don't know what it's like in the US but we've got like a, a government right so we have an elected parliament but then there are shadow ministers that have the exact same interests as those that are elected but they're just mm. the opposite of that you know mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like can can demons do good things too like they're not always evil yeah i definitely think so um like um going back to well i mean the two that i've mentioned like 
Lucifer, freedom isn't abjectly evil. Yeah. Um, and Beelzebub, if things didn't rot, like we would all be doomed. Yeah. <laughs> rot is the only way we can grow food and things mm-hmm. like that. And see, they're parts is- of the universe. Yeah, you know, that is it, that whole what is good for the spider is bad for the fly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, and it, that's where it is a, you know, that what is right and what is wrong is, you know, fluid. And so it's, yeah. you, you can be chaotic good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that, you know, that you're. Um, yeah. I also think um, a lot of them are neutral. Okay. Um, or are just so alien in thought process Mm -hmm. that like they can do things that end up being slightly harmful but that's they're not at all malicious and so it's hard to call them evil Mm -hmm. um like um one of the first things uh i did when starting out was i attempted to contact abaddon Mm -hmm. um and I didn't know what Abaddon embodied, and I didn't really know who they were. Mm-hmm. But I reached out and I attempted to contact them. And when I kind of felt another consciousness that I was reaching, I was like, pretty sure that's them. And so I asked them for their blessing, and essentially I wanted more of them in their lo- in my life. Mm-hmm. Slight mistake. Oh, okay. <laughs> Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, Abaddon turns out is a um, destruction spirit. And oh. so a bunch of my stuff kept breaking. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I had like a ton of stuff just break on me within like a week or two of doing oh, yeah. that. So that's and then the- I was like, oh, yeah. And it wasn't like he was being malicious. It was just that he is destruction. Yeah. He's clumsy. And I said, please have more of you in my life. And so he's like, fucking okay, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like clumsy just smashing around your apartment. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah, it was like that. <laughs> so that's maybe rule number one is like don't conjure based on the coolest name. <laughs> you have to yeah. Look. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, have you, what other what other experiences, like, what other demons, entities have you been in contact with that you've spoken with? Uh, let's see. I have contacted a lot of very minor spirits, mm-hmm. by which I mean there were minor spirits wandering around, and I said hi, um, because, I mean, why not? But um, in terms of actually, like, named demons, um, I haven't had a proper talk with Beelzebub, but um, I have some form of connection, mm-hmm. I think, um, made some form of connection with them in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, Furfur, uh, definitely, whose name sounds a little silly, but they're mm-hmm. storms. Um, they're known in one book or another as the Count of Storms or the Duke of Storms. Mm-hmm. The titles are I don't know if the titles mean anything. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I mean. It is very books. 1500s that they were just like, yeah. that's, that was the best, the closest way that they could convey yeah. their importance. Do you know what I mean? Like that they could say that they yeah. were important 
more important yeah. than other ones. Like maybe that's the way that I look at it and see it. It's like, you know. Yeah, such and such king princess. I also think there might have just been an assumption mm. that like they must have some sort of, you know, strict governmental structure. I mean, it would be kind of cool if you did go there and it is set up like a medieval <laughs> kingdom. <laughs> yeah, Castles yeah. full of demons. <laughs> like, I could see, like, because you know what? I'm just like, wow. When I was researching this more, I'm like, wow, Metallica song makes so much more sense now. Like, it really is, like, really cool. I could yeah. see that the aesthetic's really cool, you know, especially how yeah. intense the stories are you know and yeah definitely and i think too like it appeals to people who their strong personalities do you know what i mean like these the demons embody strong and strength and knowledge you know yeah as opposed to being just accepting blind faith and not questioning anything yeah you know so, yeah definitely demons tend to be more like they'll answer questions about things like you can say hey how is the universe formed and they will give you an answer yeah which is generally not something you can do with mm -hmm. like you know uh you're not expected to like pray in church and say hey god yeah <laughs> how is the universe formed you know you're supposed to just it's written sort of thing and i do think a lot of people find that uh that sort of it's written just read it pretty unappealing mm. as a priest of lucifer have you ever tried to contact an, an angel i have not that there is actually a um reasonably large subset of people i have seen in demonolatry in more general terms mm -hmm. um who are in contact with both a angels and demons at the same time mm. I personally don't, so I can't speak too much on what that's like, yeah. but um, I think there is some notion that, that probably on both sides, that humans need some form of balance, um, and that um, there's not, uh, they, they don't seem to fight in those cases, mm -hmm. so yeah it's so yeah it's very interesting like you said it's interesting to to just it's about what you personally resonate with and how you want to you know, yeah grow yourself you're from your spiritual perspective like you know and the lessons that get given to you in in what yeah, way that it is so have you ever had anybody come to you that is having problems that they need help with yeah <laughs> so, uh, so would you be able to tell us like a like an example of that at all you know like um, if they've done something where they've like or they're in too deep you know like what would the best advice yeah. be for somebody if they feel like they know they know the reasons why this is happening to them but they just don't know how to get out of it now yeah um that is kind of tricky I get a lot of people who come to me with that. I unfortunately don't always know how to help them mm. um, because I focus more on bringing spirits to me than getting them to go away. Go away yeah. So, yeah, but generally you need to understand who it is you're working with. Mm -hmm. Understand that 
you can, you know, spiritually speaking, stand on your own two feet, um, work through the, you know, emotional and mental stuff that you would work through with kind of any sort of unhappy relationship. Yeah. Um, and it's essentially like, because spirits are embodiments of parts of the universe, if you need to separate from a spirit, the best way that I can explain that in very general terms yeah. is to start living your life in a way that's incompatible with what that particular spirit is the spirit of. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you've got, let's say, um, a spirit of rot around, cleaning your house might actually be a very good idea yeah <laughs> um and yeah lots of things like that there are also i think um because of the way magic works willpower and belief does affect it so if you know things like banishing rituals they can definitely help um also if you know someone who is more proficient in banishing banishing um, spirits, that can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. I don't recommend full-on exorcism pretty much ever. Okay. Just because it is very dangerous. And if, um, like, there are many cases of people going into exorcisms and dying because of what the priest did. Yeah. Uh, and part of that is because in some cases it ends up being mental health problems yeah. or I, I also think it's just like so if a spirit is trying to make you uncomfortable unhappy depressed and afraid uh being tied to a chair yelled at in latin getting water thrown at you mm. um all potentially after having been taken to somewhere where no one will hear you scream mm. uh that's yeah. not going to make you feel better no. <laughs> um if you are going to get an exorcism do not just go to your local priest yeah <laughs> uh, go to someone who has probably performed those before and has a good you know public track record of not having things go horribly wrong yeah uh, but overall there are other you know techniques other uh religion techniques that can work and even if you don't turn to a specific religious path you can probably there are things you can do so we, we spoke before about watching the conjuring and what, yeah. was, what was your take on it? Like, because you said you've never seen it before. So was, yeah, was, I had never was, seen it, was it a historical account? Do you feel like that's how it went down? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have actually watched um, a few videos comparing, like, the, the actual story behind um, that it's supposedly based on. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it's not too far off base. Yeah. Um, I have to say that movie does make the Warrens look awfully good. Yeah. Superheroes. <laughs> but yeah, the, definitely 100% perfect 
family, you know, mm. sort of a superheroes and I don't know. Warriors of Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Warriors of Christ. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't, without the facts fresh in my mind, um, I think until like the hour 15 minutes or hour 30 mark, mm. um, it was surprisingly grounded mm. <laughs> is what I took away from it. Yeah. You know, until you get to things like, you know, falling three stories through a crawl space mm. and landing undamaged. That was kind of weird. And like, you know, levitation doesn't happen. <laughs> okay. So if you want to get into demonolatry and you're expecting like the fire and brimstone and the levitation yeah, no. is not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I'm sorry to disappoint, but that's not in the because um, that was one thing that I have, like, I've, I've heard this story of a possession that happened and it was an, it was an exorcism story. So this woman was possessed, yeah. she was taken to this, um, uh, like a, a nunnery where they would, like, right. like you said, taking somewhere where no one can hear scream, like surrounded <laughs> by people speaking language that you don't know. And, yeah. <laughs> and she, but they had to tie her to the bed because she was levitating. And then she apparently got free and was like in the corner of the room. Like they couldn't get her down. And I was like, that would be yeah. something which would, that would just mess with your whole, like, imagine <laughs> yeah. seeing that. Like you, like yeah. you, you believe in demons and you believe, but imagine even that could probably shake you a little bit where you'd be like, I need to take stock of everything I know because I've just seen something which is completely, yeah. you know, unbelievable to me. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely also a question of when you hear stories like that, how much of that actually happened? <laughs> yeah, or yeah, like you said, or is it yeah. just to scare people away from doing things? You know, is it to scare people away from doing things? Is it to gain fame and fortune from you know the dashing tale of you know heroism in the face of infernal evil yeah. and things like that and how much of it is just plain the story got exaggerated somewhere along the way yeah um it can be very difficult to tell um just how much was exaggerated or whole cloth made up Mm -hmm. But generally, if you hear someone saying, oh, levitated and, you know, even speaking in languages they don't know mm -hmm. is often just not true. Yeah. Uh, or it's misunderstanding. In a lot of those cases with the speaking the language, the rest of the family won't have spoken the language and they'll just have heard gobbledygook and assumed yeah. it with French yeah. or something like that. That's a good point too, where it's like, yeah, who who's saying that it was a different language? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where, yeah, I just feel like, you know, it's it's it is such a you know a, a vast area. Like when it comes to, 
yeah, it's, it's, it is just an amazing place. And I definitely recommend that people that are listening to this who are interested in finding out more, go to the demon subreddit because it literally has everything there. And you've got all, so many sources that you can like go to and read Thank <laughs> and you. find out that information. Um, also, yeah. yeah. So we spoke also during the week about the ethics of conjuring demons to do your bidding. Right. Right. Um, so among people who um are demonolaters um demonolatry quick aside yeah. <laughs> uh demonolatry is separate from satanism mm -hmm. demonolatry specifically working with um a specific demon or more often three demons mm -hmm. um and it's not exactly worship some of the time um it often just be uh i want spiritual growth and these spirits embody things that i need in my life and they've been good guides um and so yeah quick aside there That's um it. so it's not like you can but, call them in and say i want you to like you know with a like voodoo dog uh, be like i want you to hex yeah, my no. friend so it doesn't work like that <laughs> uh no it does not <laughs> the vast majority of um the 72 most well-known ones uh mm -hmm. from the ars goetia mm -hmm. most of the, they just straight up won't do that yeah they're like no like, <laughs> no i have better things to do with my time mm -hmm. i have better things to do with my energy they're like yeah I'm but we're gonna, we're gonna haunt you for six months as a, as a punishment for coming and asking stupid questions <laughs> Play, play bitch games, win bitch prizes. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them will do that. Most yeah, of them will. Energy. Yeah. Yeah. Is, um, the tricks to energy, is that a different thing? Um, it can be. A lot of them are very, very patient. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've lived like, you know, way longer than any human can yeah. <laughs> they're not exactly in a you know big hurry a lot of them are very forgiving hmm. um some of them not so much they have their you know uh more busy they have things to do they do not have the time for your indecision things like that yeah um but very few of them are ever like you know uh very few of them ever really go like overboard with like i will haunt you yeah no so you know i wonder you know how we said about when there's unhappy people maybe that that is where people get get their wires crossed with it because say if there was like a black witch like someone who was a mm. like who really did kind of want to do kind of dark magic dark dark magic maybe they were being you know, possessed by someone like that, who were who wasn't using it, like as a, as opposed to the demon themselves, but it's somebody who, in their life, yeah. had, you know, yeah, a lot of, I I do definitely think that part of the issue is that because people have the preconception that demons are evil spirits, mm -hmm. demons 
it's evil. Anytime they run across something that makes them unhappy, Mm. they can't actually confirm whether or not the spirit they're talking to is a demon or not. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times it doesn't fucking matter to them even. And so they just assume demon. That's just, you know, what they call it. There's also some people who argue that uh, definitionally, we shouldn't be calling spirits who can do nice things demons mm-hmm. because the definition of the word demon is an evil spirit, damn it. Mm-hmm. And I see where they're coming from with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally don't think it makes sense though because there are a large number of spirits who do good things for people who call themselves. And they're like, what am I going to do? Tell them they're all. <laughs> see, and yeah. You know, I was reading a story before about um, like Satan, who's another. So he is, you know, the mm-hmm. one that we, is more the devil, that devil like kind of style looking who, yeah. you know, he just, he does kind of, even though he tempts people with going against God, at the end of the day, he, he isn't able to, he still kind of answers to them. And I think he's, they call him like an arbiter of God. So he decides who goes to hell, who goes to heaven is ultimately their choice. Um. And it was interesting in this story that there was a man who dragged an innocent soul to hell and it was Satan that was like, that turned around and said, no, she's, she's actually an innocent and she doesn't belong here. And he sent her to heaven through a reality portal, you know? So it's like, yeah, there, there is, um, I think that interpretation of it comes, um, from, a better understanding of what the original language of especially the Old Testament meant by the word uh, Satan or Hasatan. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is originally that was almost certainly never meant to be a name for a specific entity. Okay. It was a title-ish that could be conferred between different people. And it basically meant... Um, uh, prosecutor okay. in a sense it was like god was wanted to hold court uh for to see if someone's faith was strong mm. and so he'd send hasatan a satan mm-hmm. um to go and essentially gather evidence of them or you know put forth a test of faith mm-hmm. and so in the original language, Satan was never someone who was actively fighting against God. He was definitely not something, uh, someone who was, you know, intended to tempt people away. Mm -hmm. He was a direct servant of God, much more in line with that story you talked about. And I don't know him as being that, but that's also an issue of like, who's holding that name right now? Yeah, like, one. yeah, and how many spirits are holding that name? Because definitely there are spirits who will claim to be such and such mm. when they're probably not. But also, how do you determine which is the quote unquote real one? Mm. And there's a lot of confusion with that. Identifying spirits is hard. <laughs> yeah, well. My mind's blown by like just how interesting the whole the subculture is. Like it's just so there's so yeah. much. You know, you just you just can't. It's um, complicated. <laughs> yeah, it gets really complicated, and to do it, do do due diligence to it. 
you know, like it's to be able to sit here and have conversations like this because it's so easy just to turn around. And, you know, probably last week, I probably would have been one of those people where I'm like, you don't, don't, well, I still believe that you shouldn't really be in the spiritual realm messing with things that you don't understand. You should at least take a little bit of time to understand like what you're looking for or what you're asking for, because I believe that these things that truly exist and that they can, you know, for better or worse, impact our lives based because it's yeah the power of our mind as well and what we're, we're asking for and what we said but it's also one of those things that the more i've learned this week about demons i'm not afraid of them like i was before where like i'm not afraid yeah. that someone's gonna like that one's just gonna manifest in my bedroom and <laughs> demand my yeah. mortal soul you know <laughs> so yeah like, yeah you know they definitely can't do that <laughs> no and that's one <laughs> or, thing too, yeah. that when you when i looked at it logically I was like, if if Lucifer is the god of freedom, then it doesn't make any sense that he would then want to yeah. take your soul from you, because isn't yeah. that just completely anti his whole shtick? Like, yeah, it is. He can't control people; doesn't want to control people. So why would they yeah. want to take your immortal soul? It's the church that wants to take your immortal soul. <laughs> yeah, and you know, that's actually like, um. It is definitely, I think, the uh, the interpretation I would put on that idea that you can, you know, lose your soul to the devil is that Lucifer is freedom, and that means the freedom to not do what God wants. Mm. And, you know, um, the church and most of Christian thought, there's always, you know, one outlier, but most of Christian thought says that the best way to live your life and the best way to do good Mm -hmm. and to be good and to get you know the highest good for your soul is to obey god Mm -hmm. and therefore presenting the opportunity to not do that is an evil thing Mm -hmm. and that's generally that's actually um a lot of the logic um, behind the people who like boycotted Harry Potter, mm. it was because Harry Potter, well, it's definitely, they know that he's not, you know, praising Satan in the book. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're not nuts, mm. but just this idea that because they showed that witchcraft could be okay, mm. they were presenting, you know, uh, the, that op- avenue of freedom to potentially explore which and that was something that they did not want normalized and Mm -hmm. so like that's the logic behind that and you know so yeah I kind of actually agree with their logic I just you know take the opposite stance that that's not a bad thing yeah and as well you know when you think about it like that if there wasn't these this opposite opposing force people would never be give, like say even if you were a pious person that believed in that and you wanted to go to heaven and you wanted to do all those religious things you wouldn't if, if everything was just good you'd never have that opportunity to show your strength in faith yeah there are definitely people who um uh you know take the view that um if you weren't tested then the choice would be meaningless and things like that yeah, exactly. Well, it's been absolutely amazing speaking to you. I've had so much fun with it. 
and I'm sure like I hopefully like if I'm ever researching into more kind of occult things or that kind of fall into your sphere of influence I hope that I can reach out to you and maybe get you on again to talk about something because yeah. there is so much yeah. that we could talk about <laughs> yeah yeah definitely there was so much yeah this was fun All thanks right. for having me no worries so is there anywhere that the, um the listeners if they resonated with what you've said or how they could like how they could get in contact with you or like what what would be the best way for them to you know if they want to go on this spiritual path like what would you recommend i definitely think um reading the ars goetia is definitely a first step it will kind of introduce you to um one of the most reliable ways of summoning, um, as well as a brief introduction to the 72 most well-known demons. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that have been worked with the most. Those are the ones that essentially have a sign up that says, yes, I want to interact with humans. Yeah. Um, I also think uh, looking through other practitioners' experiences, mm -hmm can definitely be a big help. Um, a fair amount of time, if a demon wants to work with you, they will reach out themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, looking into it at first, feeling what you're drawn to and um, being responsive to like signs of someone maybe reaching out can definitely be good definitely talk to like other people who have uh gone down that road before and you know understand that this is something very individual mm -hmm. and so gain a good understanding of what you want from this experience mm -hmm. and um what you know what your motives are what your needs are and go into it with sort of like a, a good understanding of where you stand with all that. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you very much. And so, yes, the, thank you, um, thank you the demon subreddit. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just, is it deem, it's demons, isn't it? Demons. Yeah. Uh, R slash demons with an S law lowercase. Yeah. And so people are welcome yeah. to go there if they've got questions or sharing experiences they're just not allowed to shit post no no yeah. like no like rec pulling down other people's beliefs because like you said it's a personal thing yeah and i also would like to um mention r slash demonology demonology practices mm -hmm. um where whereas r slash demons the one that i'm a mod on mm -hmm. uh, is very much more general um, demonolatry practices is specifically for people who are interested in uh, working directly with demons in a you know mindset that's like I want them as the spiritual guide sort of thing. Yeah. So if that's specifically what you're interested in, that one's probably better for better, you. Better the spiritual guidance. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Anyways, I hope you had fun. Yeah, I did. It was cool. <laughs> Alrighty, so I didn't actually have any listener stories sent through to me this week that I thought I could put in and would make logical sense for the podcast topic. 
A quick reminder too that the last segment of each of my podcasts is dedicated to your listener stories. So if you have a fantastic story for me, or even a non-fantastic story, even just something fucking strange that happened to you that you want to tell somebody that you've always wanted to know if it's happened to someone else or to get my ideas or opinion on it, please make sure that you send it through to me at a is for alien podcast at gmail.com. I love um, audio submissions too. So if you want to tell your story in your own words, please feel free to record it. I'm pretty sure you can do it pretty easily on most smartphones now and then just send it as an attachment with the email so I can play it on the show. Okay, so I've kind of had many paranormal experiences in my life, but there aren't too many of them that I could definitively say were bizarre without explanation or an experience that I couldn't just dismiss as either I didn't see it correctly or I wasn't seeing it long enough. You know, like we all see those anomalous kind of lights in the sky from time to time or a shadow that we think, you know, might be a ghost. But the story that I'm about to tell you is accepted by medical science, something that lots of people have, but I still find it extremely fascinating. And I feel like there is lots of questions about this phenomena and also the state that we're in when we experience this phenomena. And that is sleep paralysis. So I've had sleep paralysis twice in my life. And the first time I ever had it, which is the story that I'm going to tell you today, I didn't try to bring it on. It happened completely naturally. And then the second time that I had sleep paralysis, I had decided to take my power back and put myself into a trance-like state, I guess, to be able to experience a sleep paralysis-esque experience because I was afraid. So for context, the time in my life that this happened when I had my first sleep paralysis episode was of extremely high stress. So I was going through... um, a period of time where I was doing really intensive training and like 12 hour days of just intense training for my job at the time. International super spy, you know, it's a hard gig, but someone's got to do it. So I was staying in a hotel and you know how hotels sometimes always seem to have really fucking annoying curtains that you can never actually get the room dark enough. Like there's always kind of a little bit of a, a light leak that will just light up the whole room. You may as well not have curtains on. That detail's not that important now, but it is important for later on. So anyway, I'd finished my training and I've gone to bed and I actually had an awesome fucking dream. So I was dreaming that I was like a Charlie's Angels and I had the hair going on. I had like the Farrah Fawcett flick. I even remember wearing like these wicked like denim flares with a white shirt with one of the collars that go all the way out to your shoulder blades. Um, yeah, I just was a policewoman, detective, Charlie's Angels-esque kind of person. And it was almost like I was maybe like a character on law and order or something like that's what it felt like so I had this partner guy who was also helping me look for this bad guy so this whole dream we'd been like looking for this murderer looking for this bad guy and 
it was towards the end of the dream and we'd finally caught the bad guy and he was laying on the ground and arrested and I looked up at my partner my policing partner and I said oh my god I can't believe we got him like how good is this and my policing partner just kind of like stared at me and I don't know if you've ever had a moment in a dream where you realize that you're dreaming because something strange has happened that wouldn't happen in like normal life and that's kind of what happened next so as I was looking at this guy's face that was the first thing that I noticed that was weird is that I could see his face because normally in dreams you know our faces are a little bit blurry but this person like I reckon that if I saw them tomorrow I'd still remember this face and he just was like staring at me and it was frightening because it was like how DVDs used to skip you know how like it would be paused on something but it would kind of skip a little bit so you'd see like kind of gradual movement and that's what kind of happened to his face but everything seemed to move in slow motion and I was like looking at him and I said are you okay and then I began to feel acutely fucking unsafe like it was almost as if his face then changed to an almost predatory like lewd look and it turned into this grotesque kind of demon face like right in front of my eyes and I remember just like gasping because I was so frightened and I felt this like slash across my chest and it had like ripped my shirt and I was bleeding but I can still feel it It was like ice cold hot sensation of like claws so I've gasped out loud and next thing I know my eyes have snapped open and I'm laying in the bed in this hotel room on my back and it feels like there's a perfect mirror image of myself laying like an inch above myself and I can just feel all the heaviness and I could only move my eyes and I could still feel the burning sensation on my chest and so I'm laying there and I was thinking oh my god I'm having sleep paralysis this is so cool because I had learnt about it at uni so I was like wow this is so cool I'm having sleep paralysis And the whole room was lit up because of those stupid curtains because the time must have been like 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning. And I'm laying there and I can like see everything in the room. I feel like there's another person laying on top of me. I wasn't scared though. At no point now was I scared. Like I was scared in my dream, but when I woke up, I wasn't scared. Anyway, there was like water ceiling mirrors right next to the bed like um like a walk like a wardrobe thing that had mirrored doors and I just managed to glance my eyes over and I saw in the reflection a giant spider on the roof and when I say a giant spider I mean it was like it must have been like two to three feet wide and it looked like a tarantula and it was just sitting on the roof by the window and I have never done drugs in my life, so I've never smoked weed, I've never done coke, I've never done any kind of drugs like that, so I have never done 
any kind of mind altering drug. But I can tell you right now that to to me in that moment, like seeing was believing. Like I could see the way that the sun was like reflecting off of the spider's eyes and how it came through, the light came through the hair on its legs and how it moved because that's what happened next is to my surprise, it started to move. And so I flicked my eyes over to where it should have been in real life and I was looking for it and I couldn't see it. And so then I looked back in the mirror and I could see it crawling towards me. So I could only see its reflection in the mirror and I was still like laying paralyzed in the bed watching this thing kind of like approach me until it was directly above me and you should have seen me I was just literally like the bride in fucking Kill Bill I'm just like move your left toe move your left toe like trying to move and it was the wildest thing because I could finally like start to move my hand and I just watched this spider disappear and so I got up and I was like oh my god I just had sleep paralysis that's the fucking coolest thing so the thing about sleep paralysis and demonology is that there is this entity that is often associated with sleep paralysis called the night hag and I didn't experience the night hag per se like people say that they experience it but I did experience sleep paralysis so I thought that I'd take a minute just to explain a little bit about this night hag phenomena and how a lot of people throughout time and history before the advances in modern psychology and what we've understood about sleep have believed that sleep paralysis was. So sleep paralysis is widely considered to have been the work of demons, specifically demons called incubuses or succubus. And so like an incubus is a male demon, um, sorry, or a demon in male form who will lie upon sleeping women in order to engage in sexual activity with them. And, you know, whilst that wasn't my experience whilst I was having the sleep paralysis, the dream that I had before that was quite aggressive and awful and it's what woke me up. So it makes me wonder if perhaps this actually was some kind of demonic attack that I was under because it wasn't nice at all. It's actually quite amazing to look into sleep paralysis as a phenomena because the folklore behind it and the, the fact that there are just so many countries that have so many similar encounters you know, like even if it is just some kind of psychological, um, neurological effect that hormones and chemicals have on the brain, I feel like it goes beyond coincidence that so many people across so many different cultures experience the same entity they see the same entity because there are so many people that literally do see things such as the hat man or an old hag and like why like you know we know how we dream we know what chemicals are responsible for that 
but we don't have the same dream and yet with sleep paralysis we tend to see the same entity and so you know is this something which is we're calling upon the collective consciousness for like is it something that we've been kind of afraid of in antiquity is it like a some kind of survival technique maybe or is it actually genuinely some kind of supernatural force that we're not yet um that we don't yet understand the craziest thing is too is that i wasn't even remotely afraid of spiders in fact you know i'm quite kind to spiders i even have a bloody huntsman that runs around my house that lives here for free and yeah but considering the amount of things that i read and research literally anything could have fucking manifested to me and scared the shit out of me like I wouldn't be able to have coped if I had woken up and there was like three grey aliens at the end of my bed or like a fucking zombie or even a hat man or a shadow man like that kind of stuff I couldn't have dealt with but the fact that it was like a spider it didn't frighten me at all and you know I, I did a quick reddit search and there are lots of people that see spiders it as part of sleep paralysis and like freakishly kind of big spiders so how weird is that so if you have a sleep paralysis story or if you have seen the hat man or like the hooded robed man in sleep paralysis or maybe been like me and you've seen spiders or another one that people see are like giant rats um i'd love to hear your stories like you can email them to me at aisforalienpodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, once again, if you have any other stories that you'd like to share as a listener story, please remember to send those through too. Alrighty, so that wraps up another episode of A's for Alien Podcast. Thank you for making it all the way to the end. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it. I'm so fucking fascinated with demonology and the lore and history behind it. And I think that even if you are a spiritual person of the light, regardless of whether you're left hand or right hand path, I feel like for to truly understand each other, we need true duality in life. And so it's worth taking the time out to just learn a little bit about the other side so um, yeah check out that youtube channel angela's symposium check out the demon subreddit and um Tynerian on there for additional information um what else have i got to say what are we doing next week next week is e and i've had some really good submissions for and suggestions for what we should do next week so i think i might actually keep it under my hat this week i don't even want to tell you i think it's going to be a surprise mm. <laughs> Alrighty, <laughs> i'm not gonna tell you <laughs> all right guys well that's it thank you so much thank you for liking commenting and subscribing reviewing and all the other jazz that you do for me every week i appreciate it so much um yeah Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, I love you. All right, bye-bye. And uh, yeah, good night, Mr. Gers, wherever you are. <laughs>